Uh, we're continuing our series of messages, the second part in a three-part series entitled The Close of Probation. And I want to begin by asking a question that is rarely asked even in Christian circles, and it's a poignant and rele- relevant question pertaining to the nature of the delay, and it goes something like this, 2,000 years after the cross, two millenniums later, we are still here, and this is a question that I've many times asked myself, what is God waiting for? Have you ever asked yourself this before? 2,000 years, relatively uh, a long period, even in the eyes of God, we are talking not just about centuries, but 2,000 years after the cross, after Jesus has said, it is finished on the cross, why didn't Jesus come 100 years later, or 200 years later, or even when Paul wrote with his own hand that the gospel had gone to the entire world in his generation? What are we waiting for? Some people say that we're waiting for final events. Perhaps we're waiting for the mark of the beast or for the union of church and state. Perhaps we're waiting for more natural disasters. 2,000 years and we are still here on this earth. Now, we don't have time to get into all of the nuances of the answer to this question. Perhaps we'll save it for another series. This has to do with the great controversy, what what Jesus is doing right now in the heavenly sanctuary. But this morning, I want us to turn in our Bibles to go to one aspect of why Jesus is delaying his second coming, and it's validated by this passage in the book of Revelation. And I want to invite you to turn with me there in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, This is the passage just before our scripture reading, Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 through 17, page 1412 in the Bibles that you have provided for you there in the pew. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. And the kings of the earth, the rich men, the great men, the commanders, the mighty men, and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne And from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, we could preach an entire sermon just from these three verses, but I want you to notice that the day of God's judgment has come, and there's a group of people that are not happy to see Jesus. Matter of fact, they are terrified, and notice what the Bible says it says, Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. That seems very strange. I've never seen a a lamb that I was scared of. It's not a German shepherd. It says, Hide us from the face of him and from the wrath of the Lamb of the Lamb. And they ask this question, uh, prior to asking this question, they say, they call for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, and they ask this poignant question at the end of the sixth seal, and it's found in verse 17. It says, for the great day of his wrath has come, and what does your Bible say? And who shall be able to stand? 
Here we have the judgment of God, the second coming about to happen, and there's a group of people that are not ready for the second coming. They're calling for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, and they said, hide us from his face, and they ask this question, who shall be able to stand? Who can stand in the presence of a holy God? Who can stand in the presence of the Lamb? The answer to this question, Bible commentators believe, is found in chapter 7. Now, now you remember that chapter divisions were not originally there in the manuscripts. They were added there for our convenience. So the answer to this question, who shall be able to stand, is found in chapter 7. And I want to invite you to go there, chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their where? On their forehead, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. The question is asked, who shall be able to stand? And the answer is found in chapter 7, the 144,000, a group of people symbolized by the 144,000 representing those that will be alive when Jesus comes. They will be translated without seeing death, and they have the seal of the living God on their foreheads. Now, we will reserve the rest of chapter 7 for another study, but I want to hone in on verse 1. I have it here on the screen. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any, on any tree. So here you have this vision that John is given, and the imagery here is that there are four angels at the four corners of the earth, and what are they doing? They are holding back these winds. Commentators believe that these are winds of strife. Great controversy says that it is the presence of God that is holding back human passion and evil in our world. And if the presence of God were to be removed, we would see evil as never as before. So these four angels are holding these winds back. That is the imagery found in verse 1. In verse 2, we have another angel, a fifth angel, not part of the four, that comes from the east having the seal of the living God. He's holding something. The seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth, the sea, and saying, do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees. And I have this word highlighted here on the screen. What is it? Till, or the NASB says, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. This is what is happening. These angels, when you look in the context of the book of Revelation, that once they withhold or once they stop holding the four winds on the four corners of the earth, that brings into line a series of events that close probation. Are you following me here this morning, yes or no? Okay, so these angels are holding back the four winds. Once they let them go, probation closes and Jesus is coming. But in the dialogue in heaven, 
the angels are told to hold the four winds until final events? No. Until God's people are sealed in their foreheads. Now, the implication of this passage is evident that God is not waiting for final events, friends. I used to think that once these final events take place in National Sunday Law and the Union of Church and State, and I was watching on the barometer of what's happening and what's happening with the beast and all these types of things, but the implication of this verse is evident that God is not waiting for final events, friends. God is not waiting for the beast's power. God is not waiting for more earthquakes quakes, and tsunamis and all these types of things to take over this earth. God is waiting for his people. God is waiting for his people to be sealed. That word that I've highlighted here on the screen gives the implication that until God's people are sealed in their foreheads, God is going to continue to hold the four winds. That is the implication. The significance of this is that God is looking at his church in this time of sealing, and once God's people are sealed, then the final movements and the final moments will be rapid, and you will see God close probation, and he will come. That is what Revelation chapter 7 is saying in this context. God is waiting for his people in this process called the sealing. Now, what does it mean to be sealed in the forehead? The book of Revelation is not like any other book of the Bible. The rest of the Bible, it is literal until the context determines it to be symbolic. Literal until the context determines it to be symbolic. The book of Revelation is the other way around. In the beginning of Revelation, the angel came down and signified the book of Revelation, meaning in the Greek, it is in symbols. Revelation is symbolic unless the context determines it to be literal. When you see seven heads and ten horns, this is not a literal animal that you see at the zoo. So when God comes down and places the seal of God on our foreheads, this is not a literal seal that is stamped on our foreheads. You're not going to be going around on planet Earth with a stamp on your forehead. What does this mean? The forehead is where the conscience, reason, the frontal lobes, the character is. The name of God represents the character of God, and the seal in Old Testament and New Testament times, I have a picture of a seal from antiquity about 4,000 years ago. This was a seal that was used. It was used in a document. At the end of a document, they would press this seal onto the document. It was the equivalent of a signature. So you have the signature of God on our foreheads, meaning that there will be a people before Jesus comes that will have the character or the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? There will be a group of people that will be so loving, so much like Jesus, that he will say, okay, they have seen the ultimate witness a loving and a lovable Christian. And this is the seal, the seal of character upon the forehead. It is the equivalent of a signature. Now, when we talk about a signature, when do you sign your name? Do you sign your name before you've ever written the letter? Now, perhaps you have, but typically what you do is after you have written the letter, after you have edited the letter, after you have finished the letter, the last thing that you do is what? You sign it. 
meaning I stand behind this. I have created this. This is the document that I stand behind. David Shin, my signature. In the same way, God takes us from the depths of sin and degradation. He forgives us, and he upbuilds the character of Jesus within us. And when he says, look, I can stand behind that because I have created, he signs his name. That's the seal. The signature of God. They shall see his face, Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, and his what? Name shall be on their foreheads, the character of Jesus, the seal of Jesus. There will be a group of people before Jesus comes that will have the character of love of Jesus Christ. We talked about his signature. There's other signatures in the Bible. God creates the earth in six literal, consecutive, contiguous, 24-hour days. Can you say amen? All right, so he creates the earth in six literal days, and the Bible says that the earth was very good, and he places his signature upon it, Genesis chapter 2, 2, and 3. You know this. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. He did what? He ended it. He finished it. He completed it, and on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. The implication is this. The Sabbath is God's seal. It is God's signature. He finishes his work. It is complete. And he says, look, here's my signature. It's the Sabbath. I can stand behind this. The Bible also says in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a what? Sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The NASB says that they might know that I am the Lord who makes them holy. Every time you keep the Sabbath, you are attributing to the reality that it is not our works that can make us holy. Amen? That it is only God that can sanctify our hearts and recreate in us the image of God. When you keep the Sabbath, you are resting in the reality of righteousness by faith. That it is only God who sanctifies you. So you have the Sabbath, a seal, a signature of creation and recreation of creation and redemption. God places his seal upon us, the Sabbath, the signature of God. When we talk about paintings, many times painters will finish their masterpiece, their work of art, something that they can stand behind. And many times the artist will sign his signature when the picture is complete. And friends... I want to illustrate it this way. God is the painter. We are the canvas. The painting is his character. Let me say that again. God is the painter. We are the canvas. The painting is his character. All you can do as the canvas is surrender. Say, Lord, you got to do it. 
I'm an evil, wretched sinner in need of grace, but you're the artist. You can clean me up. He doesn't just clean me up, but he paints his image, his character, his beauty, his love upon our hearts. God is the painter. We are the canvas. The painting is his character. God is waiting for a group of people upon planet earth that love the world as Jesus Christ loves the world, that love each other as Jesus Christ wanted us to love each other. For he said, they will know that you are my disciples by their what? By their love, by the character of Jesus Christ. Christ Object Lessons, page 69. Christ is waiting. What is he doing? He's waiting for final events for National Sunday Law, for the union of church and state. No, he's not waiting for any of these, for more tsunamis. He's not waiting for final events. God is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of whom? Of himself in his church. When the character, notice, when the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim him, them as his own. I don't know how much more clear than that it could be. God is waiting for a reflection of himself in his people. And when that happens, he says, they are just like me in word and deed and character. Then he will close probation and Jesus will come. Can you say amen? The character of Christ being reproduced in his people. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. I used to wonder what this would mean. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached where? In all the world. For a witness unto all nations, and then there is the operative word. This is a conditional prophecy. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the world, then shall the end come. Notice that it did not just say preaching the gospel, but it said preaching the gospel, what? For a witness. This is not just talking about the pastor going up front and preaching the gospel or you sharing the gospel through the proclamation of the gospel. But the power of the gospel has no life if it is not implanted in the character of the individual proclaiming the gospel. The witness of the gospel is the character of the person bearing the gospel. Can you follow me here this morning? So the preaching of the gospel in the end of time is not just proclaiming the gospel with our words. It is the preaching of the gospel through our life. And when someone says, David, I pray that when I go to my grave and if I go to my grave before Jesus comes that people will only say, I have seen Jesus reflected through his life. I have seen Jesus in that young man or that young woman. The witness is the character. And when God says, the world has seen me because you have reflected my character, then shall the end come. Ministry of Healing, page 470. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel. I love this statement. The strongest argument in the favor of the gospel is a, what? Loving and lovable Christian. It is the character. 
It is the life. It is who you allow to be implanted and imprinted upon the canvas. That is the most powerful argument. A loving and lovable Christian. Who you allow Jesus to make you to be. Practically speaking, you say, David, I want to be like Jesus, but how do I become like Jesus? I look at my own life and I'm just like, oh, Lord, just have mercy upon me, a sinner. I'm in need of grace. When I get up here to preach every Sabbath, I'm preaching to myself. I need Jesus just as much, if not more, than those of you that are in the pew. How do we become like Jesus? First of all, choose the painter. You can choose the painter. There are two individuals that are in the world today that are out there to implant their image upon you. It is Christ and Satan. We are in a great controversy, friends, between good and evil, between Christ and Satan, and the reality is that there's only going to be two products in the end of time. According to the book of Revelation, those that have the seal of God, the signature of Jesus Christ, he can stand behind his product, and those that have the mark of the beast... There's going to be people that think just like Jesus in the end of time. And then there's going to be another group of people that are going to think just like the devil. Having his signature, his imprint, his character. And these things are coming to a cataclysmic collision in the end of time. Two characters apparent, two characters developed, two characters matured. And this is the principle that the Bible gives for how we become. First, we choose the artist. We choose the painter. Second, we behold. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from character to character, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The reality is, that there are two programs in our world, two softwares, two development of character uh, through the media and through the airways, and I just want to talk a little bit about this before we close. I want to talk about the media. There's many things good on there, but I would say that the great majority of the things that are coming down the pipeline today are straight from the program that is going to develop you not to think like Jesus, but to think like the enemy. He has his machine orchestrated so that the development of character in the end of time will not be of Jesus Christ, but will be of Antichrist. And I want to encourage you here this morning to turn off the television to shut down the internet for periods of the day and spend it in God's word. Amen? In prayer and in Bible study. And I know how hard it is. You think a pastor just jumps up in the morning at 5 or 6 a.m. and says, oh, let's study the Bible. I struggle with the warmth of that bed every single day. When the alarm clock goes off, I have to play a step and I have to place it in the bathroom because I have to go in there and turn on the light and fumble around and hopefully by that time I'm awake and I will not crawl back in bed. It is a struggle every single day to do this, to behold Jesus in the morning, to spend time in Bible study 
and in prayer and in meditation upon the principles of God, for by beholding we become changed. This is the way that we become like Jesus by thinking about him, by meditating upon him, by looking at his face. This is how we become like Christ. By beholding we become. Spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, spending time sharing our faith. Desire of Ages, page 83. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point, let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones, as we thus dwell upon His great sacrifice for us. Our confidence in Him will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with His Spirit. Thinking about Jesus meditating upon him, looking at the cross, looking at the character of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you friends, but this morning, I want to ask Jesus that when he comes in the clouds of glory, that I will be like Jesus in character. Can you say amen? That the character of love of Jesus Christ will be reflected in my heart and in yours. I want to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to close here this morning. As we prepare to pray, every head bowed and eyes closed. I just want to make three appeals, three specific appeals. First one, you've heard the Spirit of God speaking to your heart this morning. You've heard his voice, and you have not yet fully accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You haven't picked the artist. And you want to say, Lord, today, by the grace of God, I want to accept you as my Savior. All you have to do is say yes, and he will come in. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in. And if that's your desire here today to accept Jesus and you have not fully accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been holding back and you want to say, Lord, today I want to surrender to you. I'm going to accept Jesus as my Savior. I want to invite you to raise your hand here today and say, Lord, I accept you as my Savior today. God bless you. God bless you. There's someone else in the balcony. God bless you. God bless you. You want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to accept you as my Savior. I want to make a second appeal here this morning. You've had God speaking to your heart, and you have not been baptized. You have been in the valley of decision, and you've heard the Lord Jesus appealing to you here this morning saying, be baptized. Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, and that's your desire. You want to say, Lord, I'm not worthy, but Jesus is worthy. I want to prepare for baptism this morning, I want to make the steps for baptism. I want to invite you to raise your hand today if you want to say, Lord, I want to prepare for baptism. I want to prepare for the water and what we've experienced with Jackie here this morning. Is, is that your desire? Just raise your hand here this morning. We're just opening the doors of the church, giving an opportunity for you to respond to God's voice. My last appeal is this. And it's a specific appeal. Perhaps you've been struggling in your morning devotions. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
you desire to spend time with Jesus, but there's other things that get in the way, and today you want to say, Lord, I need help. I need your assistance. I want to spend time beholding Jesus every single day. I want to choose you. I want to allow you to paint your picture upon my canvas. And you want to say, Lord, help me in my morning devotions. I want to commit to allowing Jesus to work in and through me in my morning devotions. If that's your desire and you need special prayer here today, I want to invite you to come forward at this time. Lord Jesus, the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Help me to spend time with Jesus every single day. And you want to say today, Lord, help me. I am weak, but you are strong. I want to spend time in the Bible, in prayer, in ministry, by the grace of Jesus Christ. And I want to become like Jesus by beholding Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Jesus is able, amen. Jesus is able. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are the artist and we are the canvas. The painting is your character. And we pray that the image of Jesus Christ would be imprinted upon our hearts and minds. By beholding, we become changed. Lord, we recognize that there is nothing good within ourselves that merits eternal life, that it is only through grace, through faith, that we are saved, not of ourselves, not of works, let it manage to boast. And we just pray today that you would help us to spend time with you in prayer and in Bible study, for this is the means through which how You place your character upon our hearts and upon our minds. Lord, give us the strength and the fortitude and the courage of conviction to get up in the morning to have an audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we recognize that we're at the very final moments of earth's history. The doors are about to be closed, and we pray today that you would help us to invest in eternal time, building or allowing you to build our characters for eternity. Help us by your grace. Give us strength. Work in and through us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. We pray that others will take note that we had been with Jesus. May your love, may your character be reproduced in us today. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.